welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Uh, glad you're here on a beautiful uh, fall day in Minnesota. Way to go, you made it to church. I also want to welcome those of you who are worshiping and watching online. We consider you to be a part of our congregation. Always glad when you can watch us and be a part of what's going on here at our church. Today we do begin a new series called Because You Prayed, but I don't want this to be just another series. I've actually asked God to use the next three weeks to ignite something in our church that's going to be actually historic. I want our church to become known really as a praying church. I want us to become known as a church that believes in God and believes in prayer so much that we wouldn't go through a day without praying. Imagine, if you would, with me, what would happen if all 22,000 of us across six campuses would spend just a few minutes every single day to ask God to work miracles in our lives and in our church. Imagine if before we dive into our work or school or day, if all of us would spend just a few minutes in prayer and ask God for things like this. God, fill me with your spirit today. Fill me with your power. Increase my love for the people I'm going to encounter today. Give me wisdom to guide my children if I have kids. Raise my awareness of those who I meet today who may be far from you and need a touch of your love. And then what if, uh, what if all 22,000 of us prayed every single day for each other in this church? And especially for those in our church who are struggling with something. With a hard semester at school or a rebellious child or an illness of some sort or a loved one who's far from God. What if we all prayed for each other? And then what if we got really crazy and all of us started asking God to double the reach of our church from 22,000 to over 44,000 over the next few years, not so that we could get bigger, but that thousands of more people would come to know Christ, gain his forgiveness, and find new life. Wouldn't that be awesome? I think God would love that. I really do. I think God would respond if all of us as a church we begin praying prayers like that. But I have a problem. I have prayed prayers like that, and sometimes nothing happens. I've asked God to heal people, and he doesn't. I've prayed for certain people to come to know Christ, and they don't. In fact, sometimes they get worse. I've prayed for breakthroughs in my life and other people's lives, and sometimes they never happen. So at times, I've wondered if prayer even works, and if God is even listening, it makes me wonder sometimes if I'm just talking to myself, and I don't know if any of you can relate to that as well. But in recent years, my belief in prayer has climbed so high that I wouldn't go through a single day without praying. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He said, if you who are evil or flawed or sinful is what he means, if, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so these days, I've been asking God for gifts. And I ask and ask and ask away because Jesus said, our Father in heaven loves to give good gifts to those of us who ask him. One of my very good friends is Al Holland. Uh, he and his wife, Chris, have been so good to my wife and me and our church. And Al is right up my alley. He's a big-time hunter. He's a straight shooter. Coach sports at UMD, kind of a tough guy. Al's a man's man. He'll look you in the eye and tell, you, tell, tell it like it is. And he's a big guy. He's 6'5", 270 or whatever, just towering. No messing around with Al. He's got a daughter, Carly, who married a special ops military guy. 
And so Carly and her husband, Matt, have been away from home at military bases on the West Coast. Matt has served in Afghanistan and, and Iraq and just a wonderful human being. But Carly has a little pet dog that she couldn't take with them to the West Coast. And so she asked Alan Chris if they would keep her dog for her. Mom and Dad, would you keep Lucy for me, she said. When Al told me about this, he said, Bob, I'm 68. I had no interest in keeping her dog, none whatsoever. This dog can't hunt. This dog can't fetch, can't do anything but yip. Plus, it's time to be free of all that. It screws us up. But what are you going to do? He said, Carly's my daughter, and she asked if we'd take it for her, so we did. A couple months into this deal, Lucy blew out her knee, but not while hunting or chasing squirrels, but while prancing around in Al's living room. Al said, you wouldn't believe what the doctor bill was to fix her knee. You know what it was, Bob? $2,600 to repair her knee. Then, he said, Chris and I booked a flight out to San Diego to see Carly and Matt, so we took Lucy to a kennel. Three hours before the flight, the kennel calls us and tells us that Lucy has a tooth problem. She chipped her tooth on something, that she had a medical emergency. So Al gave up his $500 ticket, missed the trip, sent his wife out to San Diego alone, and took the dog to a dentist for a root canal that cost him 1000 bucks. Now, if you're doing the math, that's a little over $4,000 for a little foo-foo dog that can't do anything. I was laughing on the phone. But I said, Al, I'll bet you love this dog. I bet you love this dog. Somewhat embarrassed, Al said, I'm crazy about her. I'm crazy about this dog. He said, we're best buddies. I don't know what I would do without this little dog in my life. Because that's what dogs do to us. They worm their way into your soul. And gang, here's my point. That's what fathers do. They take in their kids' pets when they don't want them. They rearrange their life and spend thousands of dollars and do whatever they can do to help their kids. That's what dads do. Jesus said, look, if you who are flawed, evil even, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts, not bad gifts, good gifts to those, and here's the key word, to those who ask. So here's a question. What good gift do you want from God? Think about it. What good gift do you honestly want from God and have you asked him for it? Jesus said, God is ready and willing to give good gifts to those who ask. So what good gift are you bold enough and willing to ask God for today? There's a story in Isaiah 37, Isaiah 37 through 38 that just rocked me when I read it a couple of weeks ago. Real briefly, Hezekiah is Israel's king during a time in history when the Assyrians were taking out nation after nation. They were sweeping across the continent and Israel was next, right in the crosshairs. So the Assyrians sent a messenger to warn Hezekiah that they're coming. And he, this messenger says, unless you and Jerusalem surrenders, we're going to demolish you just like every other nation. I want you to see what this messenger says to King Hezekiah. This message is for you, King Hezekiah. Don't let this God you trust in deceive you with promises that Jerusalem won't be captured by the king of Assyria, you know perfectly well what the king of Assyria has done wherever he has gone. He has crushed, 
everyone who stood in his way. Why should you be any different? Have the gods of the other nations rescued them, nations like Gozan, Haran, and on and on, people of Eden? The Assyrians have destroyed every nation they've come against. What god of any nation has ever been able to save its people from our power? Name just one, Hezekiah. What makes you think that the Lord can rescue you? He's just taunting him. In an earlier threat, this messenger says to Hezekiah, what are you trusting in? What substitute is there for military skill and strength? With your tiny little dinky crappy army, how can you think of even challenging us? He's just, you know, just putting the screws to Hezekiah. He says, you're next and there's nothing stopping us. From a military and manpower point of view, I'm telling you, Hezekiah faces an impossible challenge that has no solution. I just want to pause right here for just a second. Anybody here face an impossible challenge and there's no solution at all? You know, maybe it's a relational challenge and there's no solution. Maybe it's an illness that you have. Maybe it's a financial challenge. Maybe the impossible thing you're facing is an enemy at school. An impossible relationship with your parent. It's just impossible. What is it in your life that has no solution? Hezekiah is right there. Verse 14, look what happens. After Hezekiah read the messenger's letter, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread this letter out before the Lord. You know, he didn't call a strategic planning meeting. He didn't try to rally some allies. He brought the letter directly to God, and I just want to call another quick time out. Maybe some of us need to do the same thing. Maybe some of us need to take the letter or the piece of paper before God. Maybe it's a divorce paper and we think there's no possible way this can be resolved. Maybe it's a rejection letter of some sort or a doctor's report or a troublesome email. Would you have the courage to, like Hezekiah, bring this letter to God specifically? Hezekiah takes this letter, he lays it before God, and you got to know, God knows what's in this letter before he does this. But I think God loves it when we get specific and we say, God, here's the exact letter, here's the exact threat, the exact problem and challenge that I'm having. I'm going to lay it before you. I mean, so often my prayers are so wimpy and so vague. You know, I, I pray things like, God bless me today. I mean, what does that mean? What am I asking God really to bless or do in my life? Or how about this one? God, be with me today. And God's like, is that all you got? I'm always with you. You're asking me to do something I'm already doing all the time. You know, what are you, what are you saying when you're saying, God, be with me today? Give me something hard, I can imagine God saying. Be bold. Look what Isaiah, or I mean Hezekiah prays. He says, it's true, Lord. The king of Assyria has destroyed all these nations just like the letter says. He's thrown down their gods, little G, into the fire and burned them. Goes on. But of course he could destroy them. They were not gods at all. They are only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, he says, here's the prayer. Now, O oh Lord, our God, and I love this word, rescue. Rescue us. Sometimes, it's, you know, a prayer just can be one word. God, help. Save me. Rescue me. Encourage me. But he says, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms, all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you 
alone are God. I love this prayer. I think it's a bold prayer. There's no chance. There's no way out. And Hezekiah says, God, rescue us. I believe you can do it. I was reading this story a few weeks ago, and I was totally into this story. And I thought, man, Hezekiah is in a no-win deal. It's a pickle. What's he going to do? What's going to happen? And then I came to a single phrase in the text. In verse 21, look at this phrase, because you prayed. Isaiah, the prophet, looks at Hezekiah and says, because you prayed, man. Something good's going to happen. Because you prayed, God's going to show up. Look at the verse says, because you prayed, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp that very night and killed 185,000 Assyrian troops. That's awesome. It's a little gory, but it's awesome. Just wiped them out. We don't know how the angel of the Lord did it. It could have been a mysterious gas or just by his sword. Who knows? But when the survivors woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere, so they broke camp and went home. I'll get that. I guess they did. I'd do the same thing. I'd break camp too if that happened. But because he prayed, the whole army was wiped out. Because he prayed, his people were saved. Because he prayed, all the kingdoms of the earth found out that God is alive and well. By the way, that's a reference to us. All the kingdoms of the earth is a reference to us. It includes us. God rescued Hezekiah so that we, all the kingdoms of the earth, would know that the same God who rescued Hezekiah 3,000 years ago is the same God who can rescue you and me. And I love this. In the next chapter, Hezekiah gets deathly ill. And Isaiah said, you're going to die, man. You're done. Get your life in order. It's over for you. But Hezekiah prays again, and he reminds God of how faithful he has been to God. Look what God responds. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I'm going to give you 15 more years to live on this planet. What a deal. Simply because he prayed. You know, my question is, what if he hadn't prayed? What if he tried to battle the Assyrians all on his own and just accepted his terminal illness without asking God for help? Because he prayed, 185 Assyrians were killed. He got 15 more years to live, and 3,000 years later, we're, we're still talking about it here at church. I see, I see two key, key applications for every person here at all six campuses. Application number one, man, tell God what you want. Tell him what you want. Here's a question for you. What is it? Honestly, what is it that you want God to do in your life? Honestly, I, I think many people don't get what they want because they either don't know what they want or they don't say what they want. They don't get specific. They don't show God the letter. They don't spell it out in black and white. And so they pray things like, God bless me or you know, be with me, whatever, without ever saying what they really want God to do. Now, I'm as guilty as anybody. I pray those vague prayers get lazy, I don't think it through. But what specifically do I want God to do in my life? What specific threat do I have? What challenge is there? What barrier, debt, or problem do I want God to solve? I'm telling you, if God can wipe out 185,000 warriors in one night and give, another guy, give a guy 15 more years to a life, he can wipe out a financial debt, I'm telling you. He can wipe out a rift with a parent that you might have. He can wipe out cancer cells. God can wipe out infertility. There's not, a, there's not a problem God can't solve on this planet. 
There's not a marriage that God can't restore, a relationship God can't repair, an addiction God can't break, a sickness God can't heal, or a sin God can't forgive. So what specifically do you want God to do? One time, Jesus was on his way out of the city of Jericho and two blind guys, blind all their life, two blind guys called out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. So Jesus stops, and it's almost comical, the question Jesus asks. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Seriously? I mean, we're blind. Isn't it obvious what we want you to do for us? We want to be healed. But I think Jesus wanted them to say it. Be specific. Will you say it as a test of their faith? So they did. They said, Jesus, we want to, we want to see. And in that moment, Jesus healed them. What if Jesus today asked you that same question? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? What would you say? What do you want Jesus to do for your career, for your kids, your schooling, the book or project you're working on? What do you want Jesus to do for your neighbor that you're praying for? You say, Bob, I don't pray for my neighbors. Well, maybe that's the problem. <laughs> maybe that's why there's so much tension. You know, what is it you want God to do in your life? If we don't know what it is, how can we ask? And if we don't ask, why would God answer? Some of you might remember the story about the little boy who was so optimistic about everything, and he believed God could do anything no matter how bad it was, and one day, just to mess with them, they did an experiment to see if, if he could go negative, if he would go negative about who God was and believing in God. So instead of leading him to a room full of toys and treats, they led him to a room that was filled with manure. Thought, surely this kid will start doubting God's goodness and start complaining about his life. He walked into the room, manure is piled high over his head, but instead of complaining, he shouts for joy and says, with all this manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> Some of you wake up to a manure-like marriage every single day or to a manure-like job or a manure-like roommate, and it's a mess, and it seems impossible. Maybe there's a pony in there somewhere. God does, I'm telling you, God does some of his best work in manure-like situations when we ask God show up. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing, go to God first. They're kind of similar, but they're different. Go to God first. When Hezekiah heard that the Assyrians were going to attack and destroy Israel, the first thing he did was he went to God and prayed. I often don't do that. First thing I often do is just panic and worry. And then I try to draw on every ounce of wisdom and strength I have. And then after I've tried everything on my own power, I think, oh, maybe I should pray. Maybe I should ask God, God, can you do anything about this problem I'm having? And it's completely backwards. It's really taking God's place. When I try to do God's work in my life, sometimes it's like, no, no, go to God first. Back in 2000, there was a popular joke making the rounds. And given our political climate in 2015, I want to retell this joke. And before I tell it, I am not making a political statement. So chill. Okay, at all. Save your emails. It's just a joke. But here it goes like this. Bill Clinton, Al Gore, and Donald Trump died and went to heaven. Okay, you ready for this? God brought Al in first. 
said, Al, what do you believe in? Al says, I believe that all combustion engines are evil except for my jet, <laughs> that the ozone's in big trouble, and that I invented the internet. <laughs> God thinks Al's a bit odd and off, but says, good enough, come on in, sit at my left. God turns to Bill Clinton next. He says, Bill, what do you believe in? Bill says, I believe in feeling people's pain, big government, and a lot of good lawyers. God thinks for a minute, says, okay, fine, come on in, sit at my right. God then brings in Donald Trump. Donald, what do you believe in, God says. The Donald looks at God and says, I believe you're in my chair. <laughs> Just a joke. Okay, chill. Not making a political statement at all, so save it, okay. But honestly, I think that's our problem many times. I know it's mine. We think we're in God's chair. So we have a big problem. Instead of laying it before God and asking him to act, we take it on ourselves. We strategize. We crunch numbers. We, we contact the right people, exhaust all our resources. And I do the same. I encounter a problem. I think, How can, who can I talk to? How can I solve this myself? And all the while, God is sitting in his chair, watching and wondering. Bob, when are you going to bring this to me? When are you going to trust me with it? A few weeks ago, I, I put this statement on the screen. Problems, we all have problems. Every one of us do. All of us have problems. Problems are opportunities for God to show his power in our life. Problems are amazing opportunities for God's power to show up. And I absolutely believe that statement. I absolutely do. But I have a hard time living it. I don't trust sometimes that God will actually do something. So I dive in and I try to solve it myself. I am trying these days to not do that so much. I'm trying to not rush in. To not take control. To really... Take it to God first and say, God, you know more about this problem than I do. I'm going to trust you. Will you intervene in your way and in your time? Some of us have never prayed a prayer in our life. Some of us don't know how to pray, and that's okay. I'm going to give you four really quick tips as we come to a close today just to get you started in prayer. And this is for all of us, but those of you especially who struggle with this, Establish a time and place where you're going to meet with God. Hezekiah had a, you know, when he had a problem, he went right up to the temple where he met God every single day. That was his time and place to meet God. And you don't have to have a time and place. You can meet God anywhere, anytime. But I need structure in my life. I need a routine in my life where I know this is the time, this is the place where God and I are going to meet every single day. So I know that at my desk every morning at 7.30, that's where God and I are going to meet. That's our time and place. It's where God comforts me. He pours his wisdom inside of me. He whispers his love and affection toward me, friends. I would not miss that 7.30 meeting for anything in the world. I used to do morning meetings with people. I don't do that anymore. I have a meeting that's on the books every morning at 7.30. It's my meeting with God. And I'm telling you, that's where it happens. And God speaks. And God meets me there. Find a time and place. Second, Talk to God about whatever's on your heart. I want to ask a question to all of you, all six campuses. What's on your heart? What's weighing heavily on you right now? What's, what's bothering you inside? Man, bring that to God. 
You know, some of you might say, God, I'm worried about my son or daughter today. Bring that to him. Or I don't know what to do about this conflict I'm having at work or school. Bring that to him. Or we don't have enough money, God. I don't have the answer to that. Here's the letter. Here's the email. Here's the financial statement, the problem I'm having. Lay it before God. Friends, I'm telling you, God loves every single one of you. God knows you by name. He loves you more than you will ever know or be able to understand on this side of heaven. And when somebody loves you, they want to know the details of your life. Just tell me the details. As bland and dull as they might be, I want to know. There's not a detail about your life that God's not interested in, so tell them. Share it with them. Third thing, talk, about, talk to God about whatever seems impossible. So what is that for you? What is it that seems impossible in your life these days? God specializes in that. Luke 137, nothing is impossible with God. If something's impossible for you, that is a perfect problem to bring to God. By the way, sometimes we ask God to do something, and if it doesn't happen right away, we, we, say, we think, well, the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is no, but maybe the answer is not yet. And God delays it for reasons we don't know about. Maybe there's a delay. Maybe God wants to redirect us or re have us to rethink about this thing. Maybe God wants to teach us something about dependence on him, and so he delays the answer. Our job is to keep praying. And keep trusting. What's impossible for you right now? That's what you should pray about. Fourth thing, final thing, listen to God. Prayer is a two-way conversation. And you got to create space and quietness in your life long enough for the God who made you and loves you to speak to you. He will give you thoughts and impressions and he'll prompt your spirit in ways that are miraculous. You'll say, where'd that come from? And God will give you wisdom for a decision that you need to make, or he'll give you an encouragement, or he'll prompt you to write a kind note to someone who needs that. And it's just the right thing. But you've got to create space and quietness in your life. Drive to work. I, I challenge all of us, drive to work or school tomorrow without the radio on. And just say this, God, speak to me during this time. It might freak you out a little bit. None of us have ever done that. We have to have something on all the time because it's too scary if nothing's on. I challenge everybody here, make it a habit. And God will begin to speak to you by his spirit. It takes a little bit of learning and, you know, figuring out, is that God's spirit really? Is that God's voice in my spirit? Try it. Some of you are saying, though, but Bob, I don't, I've done that. I've prayed to God, I trusted him, and the job still fell through. The cancer didn't go away. The divorce still happened. The baby never came. It seems like my prayers were never answered. I don't have all the answers to that. And gang, there are certain things, sometimes really awful things that happen to people that we will never understand on this side of heaven. This is earth. This isn't heaven. We live in a broken world where sickness happens, where tragedy happens, accidents happen, and sometimes really bad things happen to good people. But when it comes to praying for an illness, for example, sometimes God heals instantly. I've seen it happen instantly, miraculously. 
Sometimes God heals gradually over time. I've seen that happen. But sometimes God chooses to heal ultimately. Ultimately. My wife and I have been praying for over two years that God would heal a young mom in our church who has stage four brain cancer. And we have prayed specifically and relentlessly for God to heal her. But the healing hasn't come yet. And we don't know why. And we don't know what God's sovereign plans are. But I do know that she will be healed ultimately and perfectly in heaven one day. And those of us who name the name of Christ, we will all be healed ultimately and perfectly in heaven one day. And I believe that her life and legacy has purposes beyond what we humans can see or understand. Again, we're finite. We can't see the big picture. We don't understand why certain things happen, but I do believe that her life has purposes beyond what we can see. In the meantime, we continue to pray for her healing and for God's ultimate and perfect plan for her and her husband and her three kids. And we're going to trust God with the outcome no matter what. And friends, I believe that God chooses to heal miraculously sometimes, but if I'm honest with you, my whole life has been a miracle. And so has yours. I mean, think about it. What's as miraculous as having life and being able to get up today and come to church and experience this day? What's as miraculous as anything is that God chose to give you life and give you personality, uniquely shaped and formed in his image. You're different than me and I'm different than you and we're different from each other. Thank God for that. Because we're all unique and we're all odd and that's okay. But God gave you life. What a miracle. And then one day I became a Christian and miracle of miracles, God freed me of sin and he freed you of sin. Those of you who name his name, Jesus Christ, and it happened because I had a mom and dad who prayed for me every single day. Then one day God chose to give us children, a little girl. And we struggled for seven years. But we prayed and we prayed and said, God, we're going to trust you in this. And one day, I'll never forget that day, the doctor came out and he said, you guys are going to have a little girl. And I, it's a miracle. I look at my two kids today and I just think, God, thanks for who they are. They follow you. I'm so proud of who they are. It's because people prayed. And I look at our church, gang, you know the miracle that you sit in and are a part of every week. Our church grew from just 350 people to 22,000. Because 24 years ago, there was a small group of people who prayed that we would be a church who would reach the Twin Cities for Christ. And so every weekend, we get to witness that miracle. And I don't understand it. I'm just a guy. I don't like crowds. I'm an introvert. But every weekend, it's just like, God, why do they come? I don't get it. But you do. And you invite your friends, and they get saved. And 
they get transformed and stuff happens that's just beyond me. So for me, it hasn't been the spectacular jaw-dropping answers to prayer, but I'm telling you, God's hand has been on my life every single day. And it's a miracle to me. And God's hand is on this church and his hand is on you. Every single day he gives you breath. So boldly go to God in prayer and boldly ask God to rescue you. But don't forget the miracles that God pours into your life and mine every single day. And the reason, the reason is because somebody prayed for you. Somebody prayed for me. And God still rescues people and God still heals people. And God still, still does the miraculous. But I'm telling you, God's miracles around us every single day. Thank him for it. Hey, next week we get to continue the series because he didn't pray. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. We invite you all back uh, at all campuses. Let's stand for closing prayer. So let's just pray for the impossible today. Deal? God, thank you for Every person standing here, you know everything about us. You know the challenges that we have. And some of us are just in a great season of life, and things are going well, and everything's good. But God, I know there are people standing here, and there is an impossible situation. There's no solution. So God, right now, right here, I just pray that you will... Bring your healing. That you'll restore relationships that are impossible. That you will restore a financial predicament that is really tough. God, whatever the impossible challenge is that people are facing right now, right here, as a church, we're standing in your presence. And we just ask you to show up. And do something amazing so that all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you are God. We pray this in the powerful, miraculous name of Jesus Christ, who we love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.